I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. I am sitting down today with the one and only Cash Patel. Cash, welcome. Chris, thanks so much for having me on your show. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, I figured in lieu of a normal introduction, because (laughs) we are in such a dystopian landscape right now, I figured I would read to you your description from Wikipedia, and we can see how much that matches reality, because... I was I was reading through it just to make my notes on what I was going to say. And then I was like, no, wait a second. We just got to go with the whole thing. I, so, I, I, yeah, let's according go. to Wikipedia, you are an American attorney and former government official. You served as chief of staff to the acting United States secretary of defense under President Trump. You have worked at the, the United States National Security Council, the U.S. House of Representatives, and you were previously a federal public defender, a federal prosecutor working on national security cases, and a legal liaison to the United States Armed Forces. You're a Republican. You have been (laughs) widely described as a Trump loyalist, and and as an aide to Devin Nunes, you played a key role in helping Republicans attempt to discredit the investigations into Donald Trump and Russian interference in the 2016 election. And so that's that's it. I want to thank you for helping to discredit those investigations. Attempting, and, attempting to, remember, according to Wikipedia. I only attempted it. Right, right, right. Yeah, you helped the attempt. <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, I, I mean, does that cover it? Yeah, that about covers it. Maybe Wikipedia will be my next lawsuit for defamation. I'll get it to my lawyers. Who knows? <laughs> so I heard you last week talking to my good friend Josh LaCash on the Wrong Opinion podcast. And uh, I interviewed last fall a mutual friend of ours, Amanda Milius, who at that time was working on trying to correct some election fraud issues, let's say. But with the Amanda Milius stuff, we have the plot against the president. And I wanted to talk briefly with you Mm -hmm. about that subject, okay? Because the way I look at that whole situation, I mean, my audience is pretty savvy, and I know you've talked about this a bunch of times, but... What's coming out now with the Durham stuff is that most of this was a setup by the Clinton campaign and something, you know, John Ratcliffe was on, I believe, with Maria Bartiromo this weekend and mentioned the John Brennan handwritten note Uh that shows that Brennan, Obama, Biden, and obviously Clinton, obviously the FBI, they knew what this Russia hoax was from the beginning. And so I wanted to get your feedback on on what that means to the country when a sitting president does not lift a finger to speak up for what is right when it comes to foreign interference with a potential presidential candidate. Uh, yeah, there's gosh, there's so much wrong with that. So, look, Johnny Ratcliffe, former colleague, dear friend of mine, declassified the Brennan notes. And he and I have been saying, as is Devin Nunes, has been saying since day one. The FBI didn't figure out that they had problems with the FISA and their investigation down the road. They knew it from the beginning, from jump. And that's what we proved 
during the Russiagate investigation, which I led for De- ran for Devin Nunes and the House Intelligence Committee in Congress in 2017-18. And the way we proved it, as you know, is we used their own documentation against them, FBI's own documents, DOJ's own documents, the intelligence community's own documents, the FISA mm. applications themselves, because that's the best evidence. No one's going to believe what Devin and I have just saying to the American people. And that's why it took so long to get that information out. But that doesn't mean that the FBI delayed in figuring it out. They knew from the beginning. And that's why here's the most important thing. And as you said, if you want to set the scene, go watch the plot against the president. If you haven't and you're in your you claim to know what you're talking about in Russiagate, you don't. You got to watch the movie. Mm. But once you set the scene and you get through the IG investigation and the fact that Harwitz, an inspector general who has nothing to do with us or the Republican Party, validated everything in our report and the Nunes memo as accurate and went even further to say the following. 17 errors in the FISA applications, any one of which, singular, was sufficient to negate the warrant. Step two, the Department of Justice themselves invalidates two FISA warrants. This is unheard of, unheard of. Two of the FISA warrants against Carter Page. And the only reason they didn't do the other two is because they couldn't stand to take that much of a kick in the gut and embarrass the judges. But what does that tell you? It tells you that Everything we told the FBI, the DOJ, and the world for for two years proved out to be true, and they just delayed, delayed, delayed because it caused them embarrassment. But the FBI, as Johnny Ratcliffe says, um, and I say, has known from from the beginning of the problems with the credibility, the money, the affiliations to the Hillary Clinton campaign and the DNC, and all the corrupt actors. So we sit here years later now, and... I think most people would agree that there has been no resolution to this situation. Mm-hmm. You can turn on MSNBC or CNN and you will see the perpetrators of this hoax as paid contributors yeah. making their case. I often say on the podcast, you can turn on cable television and pretty much every single guest on cable television is a defendant in some way in a crime against America and the hosts are basically like their defense attorneys in the court of public opinion. I mean, John Brennan knowing that Russian collusion was a hoax, Barack Obama knowing that, Barack Obama as president did not tell the country this, and he presided over the destruction or the attempted destruction of a presidential campaign. And he did this for the sake of politics. I think what Americans want to know, at least Americans on our side of things, is how... How is this going to resolve? And I know the Durham case yeah. is happening right now, but wh- where do you stand with what's going on with John Durham right now? Yeah, and, 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 and I agree. Our side of things just happens to be the truth. There is exactly. no other side. Yeah, yeah. If you don't want to listen to it, that's fine. But here's, here's a couple of uh, anecdotal points that maybe may display the turning of the tide. Guys like Russell Brandt and Bill Maher are actually going on TV and their podcast and saying, shit, we got Russiagate wrong. Yeah, they're actually recently saying that. Here's another thing. All the heroes from the left, Lisa Page, Peter Strzok, Andy McCabe, all Mm. these losers, all these crooks. Have you seen them on MSNBC or CNN lately? No, they haven't been been saying anything since John Durham uh, has started publicizing his indictments since Kleinsmith and now since Sussman. And since he issued his 27 page indictment. Everyone's been pretty quiet. And what does that tell me as a former national security prosecutor who did these kinds of cases and the FISA work Mm -hmm. that you got people cooperating and you got people scared. 
otherwise, these people have never shut up a day in their lives. And you think all of a sudden right now, when Durham's issuing his reports that the CNNs of the world don't want these guys on, there's a reason for it. Yeah. And I, I like that because that's optimistic. And I think that, you know, my, my view is still pretty optimistic at this point about where we stand as a country. But I think a lot of people are really struggling because I think that they feel what's happening with the media right now is basically a psychological operation to demoralize us Mm -hmm. into compliance. And I thought maybe you might say something about that aspect of it as a psychological operation. I got a lot to say about the media. Let's do it. (laughs) It's why I started fightwithcash.com because of how bad they were. Look, the media lost its way on purpose when Donald Trump came down the escalator. They just lost it. And then when Mm -hmm. he got elected, I mean, they went over the deep end. And then the Russiagate investigation happened and we proved to them through their own documentation in the government that the media's narrative about Donald Trump being Putin's crony was wrong, when in fact the Democratic Party paid a foreign national to dig up false information on Donald Trump and spy on him fraudulently through the FBI. But the other parallel operation they were running is indicating the Sussman indictment. It's the media. They bought and sold the media with these lies, with guys like you know Bozo the Clown, Adam Schiff leading the charge mm-hmm. because they questioned him. Because all they wanted to do was believe the narrative. So they put out lie after lie after lie. And they started defaming people. They started going after me and Devin Nunes and our families, if you can believe it, right? I mean, you can only take so much. So we're, we, were, we, we are in a fight not just to do the constitutional oversight, give the American public the accountability they deserve, but in a fight to clear our names. So we started suing. I'm suing Twitter. Excuse me. I'm suing CNN, The New York Times, and Politico for hundreds of millions of dollars because they defamed me. And we need to clear my name. Devin's doing similar actions on his own to clear his name, and he should do those as well. And we would travel around America on Nunes' Freedom Festival this year, and people would come up to us and say, I've been defamed. I've been deplatformed, but I don't have the means to go to court. I don't have the know-how to do it. So that's why I started FightWithCash.com is I'm raising money to help people pay for the lawyers for the defamation suits, and I'm helping them get their day in court and their judgments against uh, the fake news media because money hurts. And that's what you have to do. You got to get their admission yeah. of guilt and you got to get a monetary judgment. And I'm putting all my content now too uh, on fightwithcash.com with a K. It's all there. It's all free. Anyone can read it. Yeah, I was actually one of those people who was censored. I was taken off of Instagram and Twitter last year, right before the election. And it made it really difficult mm-hmm. to continue to grow my show. There's a financial aspect of that, sure. obviously. And the other thing it did, you know, I was before this life. I mean, I I voted for Hillary in 2016. That was a huge mistake. Hey, but, <laughs> but I've been outspoken for a long time. And when I realized, oh, my God, look, all this was wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, I started speaking out on that side of things. And I was in Hollywood. So, of course, that was not OK. <laughs> and I was in the uh, the nightlife and celebrity outreach kind of industry and had a lot of big people following me. And as soon as I started putting this stuff in front of them, that's when I got, you got just taken yeah. out. Yep. Yeah, which is but, it's awful. And I don't think we would be in this situation without censorship. I mean, the stuff yeah. that the stuff that we are trying to communicate to people is a true and easily provable. The yep. only reason this isn't the understood factual position across the entire population is because of that censorship. Yeah. They are going after anyone who is over the target. And that is what makes it even 
worse. Um, but I think there's a break. I think there's a break in the fold, right? When you have the 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 Bill Mars and the Russell Brands of the world, and there's others starting to say publicly that they got Russiagate wrong. And I and I've told my publicist, I said, get me on Russell Brand's podcast if he wants to talk Russiagate. And you know what I'll do? I'll tell them hold up the Nunes memo and hold up the Schiff response memo and right. see which one's true. And that's the, and you were talking about that's the evidence. It's not our words. It's the yes. evidence. The thing is, though, you can repeat that process with basically every single mainstream media conspiracy theory over the last five years. And it's they yeah. have not gotten one single important story correct. Not one. And at that point, you realize, oh, they're getting it wrong intentionally, which mm -hmm. means they have a set of motivations that does not include telling the truth to the American people. Mm -hmm. And so that's when someone like me begins to wonder, well, what are their motivations? Their motivations are annihilating Donald Trump. That was always their motivation. And here's the here's the height of hypocrisy and the lack of accountability that ticks off America more than anything. Donald Trump isn't some neo neoconservative lunatic. He's basically a moderate guy when it comes yeah. to politics. But because they were his politics, the left all of a sudden abandoned them. And then when he was successful, and let's just pick a couple of things, right, that were you know supposedly big left-wing ideologue policies like ending the forever wars, which we did, they hated him for it. That's the hypocrisy that they're talking about. And when we actually drew down successfully, and if you look at the Biden disaster of Afghanistan versus our successful withdrawal from Afghanistan, they still hated him for it. And it led to Americans dying. And what is their national security policy for this administration? Doesn't matter, border, COVID, Afghanistan, right. Iran, Iraq, hostages. What did Trump do? He did X, we're doing Y. That's yeah. the ultimate politicization of the national security apparatus of the U.S., and it hurts us. Well, the good I guess the good thing about it is that it exposes once and for all how bereft of ideas they are and how yeah. incompetent the the leftist ideology actually is, because they are on just every single issue. They are doing the polar opposite of Donald Trump, and they are experiencing historic levels of failure on all of that, you know. Part of that obviously seems like incompetence. The other part of it suggests that there is a larger plan. And mm -hmm. I don't know where you are on the Klaus Schwab World Economic Forum kind of push for global communism type thing. I look at that stuff and I see, oh, these people have laid out a design about what they mm -hmm. think the world should be. And, you know, they premise it on the idea that this is where we are inevitably going just based on the circumstances of the world. But to to just give them that as if this is inevitable seems too cheap and easy. Mm -hmm. What are your feelings about about that? Is it crazy to be to be focused on, you know, COVID-19, the Great Reset? No, look, I mean, you got to deal with the realities of the day. And 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 this administration just and I'm a national security guy. I'm a defense. Right. Intel guy, so I can speak to those things. And people are like, oh, you're you're a political henchman. And I was like, I've never been a political anything in my life. Yeah. You know, like that's that's ridiculous. I was in for 16 years. I did. I served Obama. I served three attorneys generals. I served multiple administrations. You know, if you want to talk about covid and whether or not the vaccine's working, that's fine. That's an issue. But the mandate is outrageous. If sure. you want to talk about whether we should have a secure southern border, that's a log logical issue to talk about. But if you're going to tell me that the failure to safeguard the southern border isn't directly correlated to an increase in crime, 
to a surge in illegal immigrants, to a surge in COVID in America, and to a surge in our economic debt, then you're out of your mind. I mean, it's ridiculous. And so these are just simple examples of where we got it right and they got it wrong. I heard you um, briefly discuss the election with my friend Josh, and I think that you casually agreed that Donald Trump may have received more votes than Joe Biden. I usually state it as I don't believe there is any possible world in which Joe Biden received 81 million real legal American votes, because that would indicate that 27 million more people showed up in 2020 to vote than they did in 2016. And that, to me, seems unbelievable, completely unbelievable. I'm glad you brought that up because I didn't have the I didn't have the chance I didn't think to say the following uh, during the show, which was, he, from my perspective, what I keep telling people who who want to talk about 2020 and I and I get why they do is it doesn't matter what I can believe it only matters what I can prove sure and I can't as a former federal public defender and a federal prosecutor I can't prove to the world it 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 you know 20 some million votes were. Corrupt. Do I think there was uh, a lot of corruption at the polls, mail-in ballot corruption? Sure. Some guy just got charged in Michigan for mailing in ballots of people that were uh, dead or, or, or unrelated to him. Mm-hmm. So that ha- those investigations have to happen at the state level. And what I try to get people to focus on, too, is the following. Like, I understand you're so ticked off at 2020 and that we think Donald Trump won, but we can't go backwards. We can't have him, quote unquote, reinstated. The only thing you can do is go out and hammer. So we win so big in 2022 and put him back into the White House should he run in 24 that we win huge. And that's the that is how you solve the situation. And I'm trying to get that people motivated based on their, um, you know, rightful um, outrage over how some of the selection fraud happened. Yeah, I mean, I'm all on board with uh, obviously getting out and supporting candidates in 2022, getting out there and voting, encouraging other people to vote. I am one of those people, though, that does want to look back because Mm -hmm. what I see when I look at Michigan, when I look at Wisconsin, where, for instance, before January 6th, a judge had already ruled that, you know, maybe up to 180,000 ballots were turned in, listed as indefinitely confined by people who very likely were not indefinitely confined. Those ballots should not have been counted. And in state after state, in Georgia, in Arizona, in Michigan, in Pennsylvania, we have instances like that in some form or in some uh, stage of investigation or review that would show most people who have looked at all of the evidence and all of the claims that there is actually reason to believe that Donald Trump won all of these states. In terms of having him reinstated, that's a separate question that I'm not that focused on. But the worry for me is how are we supposed to trust that the election in 2022 is going to be handled in a legal way when we don't see the election of 2020 handled in a legal way? Yeah, that's a great point. And look, I agree with you that in terms of should people be investigating the Wisconsin's, the Michigan's, the Pennsylvania's, the Georgia, 100 percent. I think those investigations need to occur. And I think they need to use those investigations at the state level to fix the election integrity issues that we have and also drive us, give us momentum for 2022. Um, I think we're saying the same thing. I think. Right. I agree. Those elect those investigations have to happen, have to have Mm -hmm. to have to happen in order to restore the faith of so many Americans who question our election process now. But I'm also saying 
I, you know, I worked for President Trump. Um, I was one of his senior most aides. Sure. And I'm telling you, there's just no way to put it, put him back in. There is in 2024. There's just not a reality to get him back in, mm-hmm. you know, in 2021, 22. So there's no standard of proof then that uh, that laws were not followed within states. Uh, fraudulent ballots were injected. Foreign interference. I mean, let me let me let me come at it from this angle. OK, so on mm-hmm. October 28th of last year, this is what, five days before the election of 2020, John mm-hmm. Ratcliffe came out for yeah. a press conference with uh, Chris Ray and Chris Krebs. And yeah, I remember. he yeah, he stated that there was proof of Iranian interference with the voter registration databases. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in light of that and when you read Trump's executive order about ser- imposing certain sanctions on foreign interference in a national election, there's a lot of conversation in communities I'm involved with mm-hmm. where we're saying, okay, well, this is clear and obvious proof of foreign interference in our election. Why isn't that being acted on in the way that this executive order allows the former administration to have acted upon it? Yeah. It, because it puts federal and state rights right at issue. And what this is what I have to remind people, and I know you know this, the federal government doesn't control elections. Absolutely. Each state controls their own election methods, dates, timings, mail-in ballots, all that stuff. The federal government cannot impose a, a federal solution to the election problems that we've had. But what the federal government can do, I, I agree, and it was an executive privilege under Donald Trump, which obviously Joe Biden reversed. The, the, the first day he got into office was you can sanction the Iran's, the Russia's, the China's of the mm-hmm. world who do in, interfere with our elections. We've shown that time and again. And we sanctioned every one of those countries under President Trump. But when you have a new president, the executive orders of the old president, um, especially by Biden, were rescinded. And so they're not acting on them. And there's no mechanism to force them to, to act on them. Well, yeah, that part I understand. I guess the the question would be before Trump left office, why wasn't some of this stuff acted upon? Because, mm. you know, from from my perspective, and you can certainly correct me, to me it looks like foreign nations, adversarial nations, did interfere with our election. We mm-hmm. have, uh, you know, some degree of widespread proof of coordinated activity within America to uh, affect the outcome of elections. We have the Mark Zuckerberg Center for Tech and Civic yeah. Life stuff. There's a wide variety of things that clearly influence the outcome of elections. And depending on how you define it and depending on how you view the level of proof, a coordinated a coordinated activity to influence who is the leader of our nation seems like a direct threat to national security that despite the federal government's inability to act on state elections mm-hmm. is still a problem that can only be handled by the federal government. Yeah, and you're right from an outward looking perspective. Yeah, like I was working with Johnny Ratcliffe then and some other folks um, regarding how are we going to sanction the Irans of the world and the Russians mm. and the Chinese. And we issued a lot of sanctions under the Trump administration, a lot. Okay. And those sanctions are only as good as if your Treasury Department, your State Department are willing to enforce them, right? Even once you've mustered the sanctions against those countries. And if this administration, which it has already publicly stated, wants to get back into the JCPOA, even though Iran is just steamrolling us, is one right. example. There's nothing that, there's literally nothing, unfortunately, 
that can be done to uh, to to enforce those sanctions. And same with the t- you know, i.e., the tariffs in China. It's a version of sanctions, right? Trump said, you know, you're not you're not playing ball. Here's five hundred million dollars in tariffs, but those have all gone by the wayside. And now you see the supply chain problems, the oil problems, you know, problems that the adults, the Bidens, when they came in, said, you know, now that the adults are in charge, we're never going to have. We're just going to talk our way into everything better, and it's failed. The whole adults are back in the room. Uh, God, what is that? A cliche at this point? A meme? Uh, that is yeah. just the silliest <laughs> idea I've ever heard. I cannot believe that people with straight faces say these things. Oh, no, no, they were, they were, they were cheering it. They I know. Just, you know, just January. It seems like our culture has been completely confused about what constitutes intelligence and effective critical thinking, you know, because (laughs) what we the people we imagine as our public intellectuals will really try to make a case at this point that the adults are actually back in the room. Of course, one of the adults is well past his prime. And, you know, some of the other (laughs) (laughs) some of the other adults, I mean, Jen Psaki to me seems like she operates in her role as if the goal of press secretary is to convince the public that the White House is an Instagram influencer. Like, it seems like they are doing things for attention and likes, you know, and you actually mentioned you actually mentioned, I think on on one of your Cassius Corner episodes that it seems in some way like the media is running the administration. Oh, yeah. Not some way, entirely. They are taking their directives, this administration, I believe, from a national security perspective, on the left-wing media and the, main, and the mainstream media and what they want Joe Biden to do. They want Joe Biden to claim victory in Afghanistan and throw out Trump's plan that was working mm-hmm. that uh, where we lost zero American soldiers and zero American citizens. They wanted to chuck that. They wanted to chuck Trump's plan at the border um, that was working to let open borders come back, to let drugs pour back into our country. Fentanyl is back up to the highest levels we've seen in modern history. 10,000 Haitians coming across illegally. And they want to cheer those policy decisions as saying good for America. And then they want to show off their hypocrisy by saying, well, if you come into this country illegally, you don't have to have a COVID test or COVID vaccine mandate. And if you come in from Afghanistan, a refugee from the evacuation that Biden created, no COVID test or vaccines necessary. And oh, by the way, no background checks necessary. We don't know if you're a terrorist or not, but welcome to America. <laughs> All these things, right? It's, it's, the hypocrisy is l- literally ridiculous, but the left-wing media keeps pushing these policies and that's why the Biden administration keeps tagging them. I mean, that's the only reason he doesn't have his three and a half trillion dollar whatever spending spree nonsense because the guy could have probably gotten the one trillion when he wanted to build stuff, but he went big because the media said, no, we want the whole thing. Now, do you when when they're following the media's lead on this stuff, do you think that this is as simple as believing that the media holds sway over what the public opinion will be? And if they go along with the media, yeah. the public will therefore like them? Or is this that the media has its own motivations and they are actually able to exert that much force over the administration? I think it's a combination of the two. Most of these people forget. I'm talking about the Mark Millies of the world and, you know, Mm. and the Bidens and the Susan Rices and all these clowns that are now in charge. Um, Most of these people forget that when you sign up to serve, you serve the mission. The mission does not exist to serve you. 
And the media constantly reminds them that they'd rather make them into heroes in the fake news media and the mainstream media by doing whatever it is they, the media, want. So they combine the two efforts. And Millie's the perfect example. This guy has taken so many 180s, I can't keep up with him. You know, first he's President Trump's biggest defender, then he walks across Lafayette Park with a firearm, and he's the media's biggest enemy, number one. Then fast forward, and this guy's tipping off China as to whether or not we're going to attack as if we ever were, because there was no evidence to even indicate yep. that. That's yeah. a side story. But then he's he's got time to be political when he's all he's supposed to do is be the most apolitical officer in uniform, and the law prevents him from being in the chain of command, which he's injected himself into. Why? Because Millie is taking his cues from the media because he's sitting down to book interviews instead of telling and advising the president of the United States how to proceed in places like Afghanistan. Well, he needs to know everything about white rage. Um, that's, <laughs> a, that's a great segue into talking about Afghanistan. So I've read Michael Flynn's contribution to the Afghanistan papers. And mm -hmm. when you read that, it's clear that Afghanistan, in many ways, is basically a funnel for American wealth to be distributed among corrupt foreign actors, for, uh, corrupt actors, foreign and domestic. Um, the media coverage of Afghanistan was very strange to me because mm -hmm. what they have done is basically carry water for Joe Biden since the beginning of the campaign. Honestly, yeah. they have shielded and protected him. They refused to investigate anything he did in terms of his own corruption, in terms of Hunter Biden's laptop, which was most definitely not Russian disinformation, despite the same 50 uh, former intelligence officials claiming that it has all the markings of Russian disinformation. They didn't look at any of that stuff. As soon as the Afghan withdrawal begins, they are instantly anti-Biden. And then even among that, it broke down into two different directions. One of the factions in the media seemed like they wanted Biden to look bad enough so that he would stay in Afghanistan. And that seems like a clear motiv motivation to preserve the fraud apparatus or the corruption apparatus that they have in Afghanistan, like a military industrial complex thing. And then the other motivation seems like there are people that actually want us out of Afghanistan to be able to hand that to the Chinese to strip the country of resources. But it was just jarring the way they immediately jumped off of their constant Biden defense and you know, I try to look at the motivations here and I, I don't know if this is getting convoluted, but I would love to hear what you have to say about the way the media handled the Afghanistan withdrawal. Well, the way the media handled the Afghanistan withdrawal the way they wanted to in that our conditions based withdrawal, withdrawal, which I led for President Trump as DOD chief of staff was working. And, and you know, the quick conditions were keep Bagram, never give up your brain center. Um, make sure American citizens are removed before we ever leave the country, all of them. Make sure we secure our weaponry or destroy it so it doesn't fall into the hands of terrorists. And more than anything, totally repudiate, reject al-Qaeda and ISIS and make sure the Afghans and Taliban come together for to form a peaceful government. I mean, that's that's their country. Like, if if we're going to leave, somebody's right. going to govern. It's got to be them. And right. it's a slow process. And it was working. And then Joe Biden comes in and says, I don't care about this agreement. I'm out. And the Taliban hmm. says, okay. Mr. President, we're going to wait you out. And Afghanistan implodes in months, not years, months. And there's this research in uh, 
terrorism. There's unfortunately, uh, tragically, a suicide bomber blows up 13 American service members. And oh, by the way, where did that ISIS-K bomber come from? Bagram Detention Center, where we were holding him in jail because he was a terrorist. And Joe Biden gave up Bagram and let out thousands of terrorists. And this one guy directly killed 13 service members. And so the media, I highlight these things because not even this media can run away from this disaster that is Afghanistan. When you have thousands of Americans stranded in country still with no evacuation plans, no way to get them home. When you have refugees and people who have helped us like interpreters along the way, clamoring to get out of the country, falling from C-17s, plummeting to their death um, from a thousand feet in the air. This was not an evacuation. Uh, this was not a withdrawal plan. This was an emergency reactionary evacuation. We gave up a billion dollar embassy. We gave up Bagram. And even the media is now catching on to the fact that this is there's no way to spin this as a success in sure. any way. Sure. And even they're saying Joe Biden ran on saying he wanted to be the guy that got us out of Afghanistan. Well, we're out. But it was a total disaster. And that's why I think the media can't run away from it, because it was such a calamitous wreck. Well, yeah, the images coming out of there were unbelievable. I mean, some of them were literally unbelievable. The, yeah. All of them hanging on to the back wheel of that plane. Oh. And but there was this one guy dressed in light blue kind of running along, waving his hands and smiling. I mean, I look at that and I'm like, OK, something is very, very wrong with this. Um, but let's uh, you you mentioned something in there. You said this is their country. And I agree with you about that. And I agree with uh, the Trump administration in its support of the sovereignty of mm -hmm. nations. And tell me if I'm getting this wrong, but it seems like it is an ideological thing of America first or Trumpism mm -hmm. or however you want to describe it, that we believe not only in the sovereignty of America, but we believe in the sovereignty of other nations. And insofar as that is true, that helps inform us about certain things that Trump did with other leaders. I mean, he visited the Forbidden City with Xi Jinping. He met with uh, Vladimir Putin. He crossed the demilitarized zone yeah. between North and South Korea. He had, he was forming, if not obviously alliances, at least uh, relationships with other sovereign leaders in ways that prior leaders, prior presidents had not done. And I, I wanted to just get your take on, on the broader picture of what that was looking to accomplish. Yeah, and as a senior national security official at the White House, I totally agree with that. You have to talk to these people. Mm. How are you going to engage in global diplomacy if you don't talk to the leader? You can't just be friends with your friends. You got to talk to the people that attacked us during our election, the Putins of the world. Whether you like it or not, that guy's going to be president for like the next 15 years. You, gotta, <laughs> you, you can't just go talk to Boris Johnson in England and expect everything to be OK. You got to right. go talk to the madman in DPRK. You have to talk to this guy. This guy's firing rockets into the ocean. You got to go talk to this guy and you got to be willing to meet with him. And if Barack Obama had done these things, he would have been given four more Nobel Peace Prizes. Right. It's the fact that Trump did it, that they excoriated him for it, even though he had the, you know, the fortitude to do it with guys that he knew were enemies to America. Because what was he doing? He was carrying out his policy of putting America first. How do I make America safer against these threats? I can't just shut off from them entirely, but I'll engage them. He gave him a chance. And then if that didn't work, then we used alternate measures such as sanctions, such as strikes and war zones and things like that to fortify his position and actually secure 
an America first agenda. So I got nothing to disagree with about his, him caring for Americans before mm. he cares for the rest of the world. He's the president of the United States of America. If you want to call me a selfish American, then go ahead. You know. Do you have a position on what's going on in Myanmar now over the last six months or so? There, It is, oh. in some ways, a parallel to the post-election period here. And it has a lot of the markings of what we saw described in the Transition Integrity Project last year. It seems like maybe Peru is headed in that direction, too. And some of these same players are involved in these kind of geopolitical situations happening in other countries. I was wondering if, if you have any, if you've been tracking that, if you mm. have any opinion on it. Yeah, sorry. On that one, I'm probably, uh, you know. That's not I'm your a, ball, that's not your ball field? I'll be on that one before we even start, so yeah. Okay. Um, and I know that we're running a little short on time here. I wanted to ask you, uh, you guys had one of the great, I would say, military accomplishments in that you uh, began a new branch of the military in Space Force. Yeah. And, it, and it's amazing to me, you know, because I always, to try to discern the truth, I mean, we know we're not getting it from the media. So what I try to do is track what the real events are and then try to figure out what the media doesn't want us to know. And mm -hmm. so as soon as you guys uh, initiate, I don't know what the right way to say it is, Space Force, Netflix comes out with a show called Space Force like six months later. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. some goofy comedy. And it's like, oh, okay, why don't they want us to talk about Space Force? It seems to me like Space Force is crucial. I mean, we're looking at cyber attacks all over the world on, on pipelines, on critical infrastructure. They can shut down potentially our uh, electrical grid. Why is there this hesitancy from that side of things to protect our nation in that technological realm. No, I, I listen, I, I think it's one of the greatest accomplishments that a president can do, which is create another branch of the military that's actually effective to take on the next, literally the next frontier. I mean, President Trump wanted us to go back, to, uh, not just the moon, but to make it to Mars ultimately. And why? Because the technology that you need to get to those places and to survive in those atmospheres is the same technology that you can apply back on planet Earth sure. against your adversaries. It improves your satellite infrastructure system. And we're getting our asses handed to us in some of those areas by the Chinese and the Russians. So President Trump made a smart decision to say, no, we're not going to lose that battle. We're not going to not plan for 10 or 15 years down the road just because my, I'm president right now. And so he had the foresight to say, yeah, we are going to stand up a new Space Force. And again, had Barack Obama done it or Biden done it, they would have been the greatest thing in the world. But Donald Trump did it, so it seems as if it's silly, and then Netflix wants to make fun of it by you know, making a, a, a pictorial uh, program that uh, laughs at Space Force. I can tell you with, with a guy who helped stand up Space Force, um, it is crucial to the next 25 years of national security in America. Thank God we already have people donning the uniform and yes. uh, really look forward to where it's going next. And I know we're we're getting close. Uh, I only had one other thing, but uh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was just going to um, in terms of uh, strategically, what sort of position are we being put in? You know, the supply chain stuff, I understand, but I feel like there has to be some sort of larger threat to having hundreds of ships just surrounding our shores on all sides. Like there's something more going on there. We can track these ships mm -hmm. 
it looks crazy. That's all I have to say. I don't know what is going on. This is not my field of expertise. I was hoping maybe you might say something about that and then we can wrap it up. I know you have to go. Uh, yeah. Do you have so look, any? Yeah. The supply chain thing is a, it's a, it's a, it's a larger conversation, but the reason basically there's a supply chain issue is because we let China dominate the global containerized shipping market. And everything, whether you like it or not, moves around this planet on cargo ships. People think it's airplanes. Yes, there's a lot of air cargo that goes here and fro. But the reason you can afford to go to the store and buy widgets and and other things, toys and food and things like that, is because that stuff comes in on containerized shipping uh, magnates. And China owns it, and they're destroying us because they know they don't need – they build everything in their country themselves and then ship sure. it outside for us to buy. So. That's the long and short of it. And, and part um, of the Trump agenda in terms of national sovereignty was bringing that manufacturing back here because it is yeah, he did. a national security issue. Yeah, he did. And uh, I know we didn't get to one of my favorite topics, but uh, I just want to say, look, on John Durham, I, I encourage people to stay optimistic. That Sussman indictment, people should read it. it. It really lays out where he's going. I did a 30-minute expose on the Sussman indictment on Cash's Corner. Um, check it out if you guys are interested. And and and, and we need your support at fightwithcash.com with a K. Absolutely. Um, to it, all my stuff's there. The, the episodes are there. It's all free. But we need your support so so we can help Americans who were defamed and deplatformed um, get their day in court. And um, I encourage uh, your readers to check out Fight with Cash. Absolutely. Cash Patel, thank you so much for joining the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. This was fun. Yes, sir. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator. You can join the discussion at t.me slash I'm reasonable. I'm also on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The Substack is I'm your moderator.substack.com and the merch site is cancelcouture.com. You can also go direct to that at shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. I'll see you next time out on the range. Acting as moderator for tonight's broadcast. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that 
by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!